The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. Castle, I'm kind of glad that you killed off Storm. Less competition. Mm. 20 to you, Cattle. You're bluffing, Patterson. Cough up some of that TV money and you'll find out. Ah, bet's to you, Ricky. Castle. Castle. Hmm? Bet's to you. Oh, sorry. I know that look. Story trouble. You know, you never should have killed off Storm. That was a big mistake. I, I would have retired him. <laughs> or crippled him. I mean, the man was money. You don't see me putting a bullet through Alex Cross's head. And my boy Shane Scully's gonna be fueling my private jet long after people have all forgotten about Storm. Well, you know what? Just for that, I am gonna call. So what's the problem, Ricky? Maybe we can help. I'm working on this thing. It starts with a famous author. Some psycho starts staging murders like the way he does in his books. <laughs> That's pretty self-aggrandizing, isn't it? This is Castle we're talking about. So, crime scenes are clean. Doesn't leave any fingerprints, doesn't leave any DNA. But the psycho writes the author a fan letter with his prints all over it. Well, that leads the cops to his apartment where they find enough evidence to convict him. And then? That's it. That's it? Yeah, they arrest him. That's terrible. No wonder you're blocked. Now, here's another thing. The guy doesn't leave his prints at the scene of the crime, but he sends a letter with his prints on it. Oh, you lost me there. And what about a twist? Where's a twist? Yeah. Yeah, right? Like, uh, like maybe somebody set this kid up. That's what your story needs. The character who thinks the kid's innocent keeps digging until he finds the truth. Oh, I have just the guy. Morning, London. It is Thursday, March 12, 2009. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM, where we will be with you from now till noon. No, no, not right wing. Just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be and welcome to the show today, where 519-661-3600 is the number you can call if you want to join in the conversation today. You can listen to the show on chrwradio.com. You can email us at justwritechrw at gmail.com. And you can get every archived copy of the show at www.justwritemedia.org. Isn't that a lot to remember? Well, you heard that opening clip at the beginning of the show from a new program called Castle, which debuted on the A Channel just this past Monday night, one of four TV shows. I'm going to briefly give you a heads up on during today's show. Certainly near the end of the show, we're going to segue into uh, some of those shows. And by the way, the four shows I'm going to recommend all have something in common, and I'll leave that to you to figure out what that is, and I will tell you, of course, what that is at the end of the show. And today's theme is totally television. Now, of course, that show with Nathan Fillion Castle uh, just debuted this past Monday night on A-Channel. And, of course, uh, when you heard about the problems with A-Channel, eh, that's a big deal going on now. I stepped into a bit of doo-doo over this issue myself in the past week or so. And we'll get into that shortly. But A-Channel is just another channel, you know, everybody's acting like it's a, it's as big a crisis as the automobile <laughs> thing going down, you know? And, and 
You know, I, I, you can sympathize with the people going out of work and things like that, but um, the issue is far more complex than it appears on the surface and that what most Londoners seem to be aware of in terms of uh, the background of their own local radio or television station. So let's take a look at this. I'm looking at a London Free Press article here, March 6th, 09, MPs Seek Support for A Channel, written by Kathy Romelski. And again, dated March 6th, spurred by fears... London might lose its TV station. A Liberal MP pressing is pressing Ottawa for a stimulus package money to keep the cameras rolling at A. London North Centre MP Glenn Pearson said he's not seeking a bailout for TV stations, but, quote, putting money towards innovative programs, end quote. Now, look at that. I, I have to ask, you know, what the hell's that about? Now, <laughs> now you know why I like reading newspapers. They provide for sheer seconds of pure humor at its highest level. <laughs> uh, you look at this stuff, and, uh, you know, is he supposed to be helping anybody with, you know, that's not direct help. That's just common liberal policy. Nothing new there. They've always been putting money into, quote, innovative programs. So how is that any different from anything else they're doing? And, of course, he says when community groups lose their local programming, then they're in serious trouble. Pearson said yesterday. He said he will ask Finance Minister Jim Flaherty to put aside money in his economic stimulus package to invest in local news programming. At least one political observer expressed outrage at the thought private stations might get government money. It is both morally and economically objectionable, objectionable sorry, he said Paul McKeever, leader of the London-based Freedom Party of Ontario. And there's a bit of a story behind that line in there. But uh, saying the revenue model for conventional television is broken, corporate parent CTV is cutting 48 jobs in the London area in a move that also ended the morning show on London's A station. By the way, since this article, they've cut back on other of their stations as well, including a couple of the big ones that people thought they wouldn't. The problem goes beyond the station, said Pearson, who said all media should be supported. Well, now it's not channel 10 anymore it's all media should be supported well talk about broadening your policy within the space of oh two sentences media is essential to community life government should be funding programming to empower citizens to take a deeper part in the political process he said Pearson isn't the only London MP looking for solutions. London West Conservative MP Ed Holder and London Fanshawe NDP MP Irene Matheson, along with Pearson, are asking the community to rally by emailing and calling their offices to express support for the station. Holder will appeal to Industry Minister Tony Clement. My best sense on this issue is it's about revenues and how stations and various media outlets are able to draw their revenues, Holder said. The London Chamber of Commerce is also considering contacting the Canadian Radio, Television and Telecommunications Com Commission, which is the long way of saying the CRTC, the federal broadcast regulator, to voice concern about what's happening to the station. If we can show we're working together, that sends a signal to the government, Pearson said. TV station employees facing unemployment were bolstered by the show of support by politicians and viewers who have started a Facebook book. Uh, group, rather, save a, save a Channel in London. doesn't say which one, though, does it? Oh, A Channel, I get it. Is that the worst name <laughs> for, for a TV station or what? Yeah, which channel is that? Oh, it's A Channel. Yeah, which one? You know, it's one of those ones you go around in one of those circles. And, uh, you know, in the next day's London Free Press, March 17th, there was, there was two-thirds of, of a page of letters to the editor commenting on the pending loss of A Channel. And out of the 12 letters there... Nine, I'm afraid, were really nothing more than sentimental arguments expressing a sense of loss and some vague platitudes about local programming being essential to London's community. 
And basically, you know, they're all going through drug withdrawal, I think, is what really the situation is. You see the same thing when people have to quit any habit. And people do have habits. You can change them very quickly. But that leaves three of the letters. One of them written by Jane Simmons under the heading Don't Overlook Rogers TV comments that, quote, the article Morning Show Cut 48 Jobs Eliminated March 4th fails to acknowledge that local programming is still alive and well in London at Rogers TV. Rogers TV still has a strong presence in the London community and an excellent morning show, end quote. And the two letters that uh, I've left to last, because they were the best of the bunch, each expressing an entirely opposite philosophy and point of view on the subject, one being totally wrong on the issue and the other being totally right on the issue. And it's the last one that really surprised me because usually no one really gives a totally right proper appraisal or a solution. Now, of course, being socialist, Irene Matheson, NDP MP for London Fanshawe, is the letter writer who most explicitly states the wrong and immoral position. Citing broadcaster Brent Lale's comment that local television may soon be extinct if something doesn't get done about it, Matheson makes her just wrong comment as follows, quote, The something must come from our federal government, but unfortunately the Harper government's mantra is a reliance on market forces. Now that's a joke. If there's one thing not at play in broadcasting in Canada, it's market forces in the most limited of ways. But that's another story. We must ensure healthy local and regional voices. That's the government's responsibility. The, uh, this is Matheson talking, of course. The CRTC has allowed massive convergence in TV, radio, and print in recent years, creating this crisis. The NDP and I call on the CRTC to ensure media companies respect their licenses and continue to provide local service, news, and coverage. Well, if they have to respect their licenses, we're going to get into that, and I'm going to tell you exactly what that's costing the London station locally a little bit later on in the show. I'm just re- giving you cues as I go along here. Our broadcast and print media, continues um, Matheson, uh, are much more than corporate economic units. They are essential to Canadian identity and to democracy itself. The media will continue to evolve, but whatever the shape they take, there must be a strong local component, end quote. So there's the, uh, the communist state-control-everything point of view, which will probably be shared by most of A-Channel's local programming fans who are a tiny, tiny percentage of the local community, let alone viewers of home entertainment media. Um, although A-Channel says that, you know, a lot of people watch the show, and I'll give you the stats shortly. But let's face it, he who pays a piper calls a tune. When government funds or controls television, government determines, and not always via direct coercion, but through state encouragement, for example, free money. You know, I've got an offer you can't refuse, etc. So that what actually gets aired and which opinions receive censure. That's how it's mostly done. And, of course, they do practice a little bit of out-and-out banning and censorship. And I'm not talking about things of an obscene nature. I'm just talking about differing points of views. Um, All government-funded media are inherently hostile to the free market. Let's face it, anything capitalist, anything freedom with responsibility-oriented kind of opinions. And this is equally true of our schools, where anti-capitalist sentiment runs rampant. But not so with uh, letter writer Philip Brown, whose letter headed Don't Blame Cable Networks wins my just right prize for this issue at hand. Wisely, he writes, and this is again from the London Free Press, Philip Brown, letter to the editor, quote, In the pre-cable years of CFPL, the station prospered relying on advertising dollars and local programming, including locally created reality TV and local news. In the cable years... CFPL has benefited from a greatly expanded cable viewer audience and therefore a greater base. 
on which to build advertising revenue. Networks such as CTV and CanWest Global have no one to blame but themselves if they can't navigate through a recession. If they were still broadcasting exclusively on open air, they would be facing digital conversion without the benefit of expanded markets, and if, as bygone years would indicate, they would still manage conversion and keep on going. It's something no one's talked about yet either, is that the on-air uh, picking up of Channel 10, and I'm not getting that into that today, but you're not going to be able to do it in a couple of years. Everything's going digital, and you have to buy a gadget to make your old-fashioned TV work. Um, so let us not ask the CRTC to rob Peter to pay Paul writes Philip Brown. Holy cow, I can't believe I read that in the free press. Uh, the problem of network TV in Canada is not caused by the cable service industry, and the cable service in industry should not be required to fund the TV networks. It is the TV networks and stations' job to attract advertising revenue. End quote. Good letter. Um, again, brief to the point, still a lot of things left out. Now let me repeat a lesson I've been harping on over the past few weeks on the subject of bank and auto company bailouts that applies here as well. There is no local market. Okay, we can have local news, yeah, but there is only an international market, even when you believe yourself to be isolated physically from the rest of the world. I think we demonstrated that a few times over the past week. So let's actually throw away uh, the magnifying glass, which is currently focused on our tiny little community of London where our citizens seem to believe that local programming can just be legislated or wished into existence somehow. So let's look at the forest and not just the trees as we examine the National Post's non-locally oriented viewpoint with the headline on February 28, 2009, reading CTV faces TV loss of $100 million. We're going to come to that when we get back after this break. And going into the break, what you're going to be hearing right now is a, second, a clip from the second of the four shows that are on now that I'm going to uh, give a little talk about at the end of the show. And that's uh, from the show Chuck, and this is from the original uh, episode. If you don't know what the show is about, this might give you a bit of a hint, and we'll be back on the other side of this. Bryce Larkin was CIA, Graham. He was one of your agents. And it was NSA's job to find him, to question him, not to kill him. Thanks to Rambo here, we've got nothing. No, you got a dead CIA agent. It's a gold star in my book. If this gets out... It won't. Nobody asked you. Actually, they did. Major Casey is heading up this investigation. So what was Bryce after? Hmm? What did this computer do? Well, this computer did everything. After 9-11, the NSA and the CIA were told to play nice, share their intel. This is how we did it. Every scrap of data we had went into this computer. It mined for patterns and the chatter, saw things we didn't. The data was encrypted into thousands of images. Whoever received Larkin's email got all of our secrets. Find those secrets, Casey. Found this on Larkin. Hard drive's fried. We picked up a trace signature. Where? Los Angeles, which is perfect, but feeling a little pasty. All right, some Canadian television exposure, finally. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta find out when this airs so when I come into the country I can be ready for the adulation. <laughs> hey, I've, been, <laughs> I've been on the David Letterman show twice. Anyone see me? Hey, I'll be damned. 
like four million people watching that show, and I don't know where the hell they are. <laughs> With the, that's my favorite introduction I've ever had. You might have seen this next comedian on the David Letterman show. But I believe more people have seen me at the store. <laughs> and that would be a better introduction. You might have seen this next comedian at the store. And people would say, hell yes, I have. And welcome back. You're listening to Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM, where we're talking about television today and some TV shows I recommend for you. I'll be getting to them near the end of the show. And, uh, of course, some of the problems at A-Channel, just leading into the National Post's uh, non-locally oriented viewpoint. Uh, boy, were there some <laughs> revelations in this article. It appeared February 28th. 2009, and it read, CTV faces TV loss of $100 million. Dire economic conditions will plunge the over-the-air television operations of CTV into a forecasted lost loss approaching $100 million in 2009, according to documents the broadcaster released yesterday. CTV Globe Media Inc. also took a massive, now listen to this, $1.7 billion write-down on its television properties in the fourth quarter of last year, representing three quarters of the asset's value, details of which appeared in a document briefly posted on the company's website. Uh, that's stunning, folks. I'm surprised that's not the headline in all the papers, that they wrote down 75% of the value in, in, in a flash, gone. You people wonder where wealth disappears. That's how it happens. And there's a reason, because the broadcasting industry is facing the same problem that the car industry is. It's, it's <laughs> the world's changing, and the horse and buggies are slowly fading away to be replaced by something else. But the ar article continues, the losses are being made worse by a change in viewing habits and a plunge in advertising revenues from Canadian subsidiaries of foreign multinationals being stripped of cash or other large clients being on the verge of bankruptcy. CTV Globe Media's over-the-air television properties include the CTV Network and a secondary group of A-channel stations. So our channel, you know, A-channel, it's only a secondary group. They don't even give it, give it Class A status. That's funny, Class A status. It also owns a stable of specialty channels such as TSN and the Globe and Mail newspaper. And, of course, as we all know, the same thing is going on in the newspapers, isn't it? We've been talking about that in the past, too. The very survival of conventional television in English Canada is now being threatened, reads the document CTV GM intends to file at the CRTC. Even after the recession is over, we do not expect revenues to return to previous levels given long-term trends, reads another passage from the document. In the long term, we believe the only real solution to the crisis in conventional inconventional is fee for carriage, which American broadcasters have been negotiating and are now beginning to receive. The fee for carriage charge would have added as much as $10 to a subscriber's monthly bill and brought about $300 million in revenues to the broadcasters. But the CRTC said the networks failed to prove they had enough economic need for higher revenues. Now there's perfect socialism at work and altruism as well. Unless you can prove you're almost dead and off on your, you, know, you can't get up anymore, the weight on you is so heavy, they won't, they won't consider taking any burdens off you. They're going to keep them there. And that's how they think. Uh, people working in the domestic television production industry object to suggestion the country's broadcasters should be allowed to ease up on the amount of Canadian programming they air. Well, thanks for coming out. 
Their biggest bone of contention is the Canadian network spending on U.S. programming, which hit record levels of $775 million last year. And uh, that one was uh, from the National Post, February 28th. Now, this one's from the National Post a little bit earlier. This is uh, November 14th, 08, and uh, this goes back to just at the time they were having the hearings with the CRTC. Broadcaster did not make case, CRTC says, uh, writes Grant Surridge for the National Post on the 14th of November. And this is about the carriage fee, and he reports that, quote, CRTC Chairman Conrad von Finkenstein spoke publicly for the first time since the commission ruled last Thursday against the contentious fee-for-carriage issue. We did not hear how fee-for-carriage would enhance the broadcasting system, Mr. Von Finkenstein said yesterday. Broadcasters did not present to us their detailed business plans or sufficient evidence of how performance had fallen short of expectations. The CRTC is mandated to foster the production of Canadian television programming, which includes ensuring the local news is available in rural areas. It is believed the CRTC felt the television network's commitment to such programming in their appeal earlier this year was not strong enough and that the commission did not want to hand over money that would go directly to broadcasters' profits. Well, there you go, end quote. No profits, but will help you if you're down and out and you can't even get up anymore. So I can't make any money, though. Don't, don't dare to even think that way. But, uh, you know, the whole thing, the whole mandate, all of this. Now, how does this actually affect our local station. Now let's come back to London. And this is where I got into a little trouble last week. Last week, uh, Tuesday it was, um, a week ago Tuesday, on CJBK, the radio station, I called in that day uh, to discuss this because they had the station manager, Don Mumford, from uh, Channel 10 on there. And they held me on hold there for about half an hour. And while I was on hold, a lot of people were calling in. And it was really interesting uh, what some of them were saying. Glenn Pearson called in. He says, we need a coordinated effort between London and Ottawa. And he talks about he's, he's going into an emergency meeting at 9 a.m. about the situation. I don't know what happened since because we never hear after these guys uh, always <laughs> tell us they're going to do this and that. And, you know, oh, my, when the emergency's gone, everybody forgets about it. But um, Andy Utman said, you know, we can't let this happen. He's talking about TV being absolutely vital. Uh, this, the issue is the CRTC ruling. A channel is carried on Rogers and on satellite, and they get nothing for it, he complains. And um, everybody's talking about this free flow of information being good for democracy, and, you know, nobody does it like TV. We have to change the system from a non-profit-making venture to a social service, the local news. We'll find a way to fund it. That's basically what everybody was saying. And uh, basically, we understand from what I've seen there that nobody, they're not going to shut down the signal. The signal's going to be there even if the station stands relatively idle because they'll be broadcasting a CTV signal or whoever is going to own the station. Now, what's very interesting, Steve Garrison reported, too, that there is a group of businessmen looking to buy the station. And so it sounds like something's already in the works. And all we're talking about here, the station's going nowhere, um, is a change in ownership. By the way, you know, just as a point of trivia, one of the first things my father did when he emigrated to this country in 1953, uh, he worked for a company called Bexton Machine Shop, and they were the company that got the contract to build the Channel 10 Tower. And my father was one of the first handful of welders who went up on that tower <laughs> to build the tower, and let me tell you, he was afraid of heights. <laughs> so it wasn't his favorite time to go to work during that period, let me tell you. 
But uh, he was one of the people that built the tower. And, I, and right now I live close enough to Channel 10 that I can see it right outside my window. But uh, Cal Johnston, a news director, also was on that show. I heard from uh, Mayor Anne Marie DeSico Best. She called in and she said she's going to do everything she can. And, you know, everybody's talking about, like, I never dreamed there would be a complete shutdown of our station. We can't let this happen. And uh, then Don Mumford got on there. He's a general manager of a channel. Uh, locally here, and he, and he says that his sales market, and this is an interesting distinction, so his sales market is about 1 million people, but in the greater area of our coverage area, we're talking about 2 million people. So they have twice the market, twice the viewership, and yet they only consider half of that viewership really sellable, and that's probably because you got to kind of stick local. You know, what would the point of anybody beyond too far local <laughs> be? So he says, uh, it's insane that local TV is no longer viable except in the top five markets. That's what they were saying at the time. And London's in the 10th market, so we're kind of down on that list. It's the lifeblood of every local town, said Mumford. Local is the most important thing that's provided. Our news numbers at 6 o'clock have never been as high as they are now. Our station is still the number one station in the London market against all the competition that's primarily because of the local programming we provide. And, uh, you know, Tom Cook, general manager of CJBK, and uh, I guess he was in there for a while, and he also in Hamilton, he's running one of the radio stations there. And he points out that providing local content is what the CRTC mandates us to do, both in radio and in TV. So the frustration for us is that while we're doing the very best that we can to fulfill our CRTC obligations and to serve our audience, they throw ringers at us that make it much more difficult to manage the business in the way that we need to, in a way that our corporate partners in Toronto and Montreal expect us to run the business. So it's not easy. It's very frustrating. The bottom line is I don't think they care anymore, he says, referring to the CRTC. I don't think they pay attention to our business, and I don't think they listen to us. And at this point, Don Mumford got into the conversation. He said, you know, going back historically, he says, uh, TV stations were very profitable 10, 20, 30 years ago. And I'm thinking to myself, well, what happened 10 years ago? Well, that was pretty much when the elephant in the room started taking up more of the room, and that, of course, is the Internet, which they talk about always indirectly, but never, I almost don't like to say the word, you know, the Internet. Ooh. I think what developed between the CRTC, says Don Mumford, and these, corpora- uh, and these corporations is a fair amount of competition and distrust a kind of an adversarial relationship, he says. And he says, well, things changed, never, again, avoiding what that thing was, and the corporations came back to the CRTC to tell them things changed, but I don't think they believed them. They thought it was business as usual. Frankly, I think they've been asleep at the switch. Well, I don't think they're asleep at the switch. If you look at some of the other news coverage I'm seeing around here, very scary. They're now talking about regulating the Internet enforcing Canadian content on the Internet and trying to treat the Internet as a broadcast medium, which it is not. I don't care what anybody says. It doesn't work that way. It's not the same thing. It's not even conceptually the same thing, and it's not uh, technically the same thing either. But we can talk about that at a future time. But Anne-Marie DeSico-Best, our mayor, argues that there's no question we have to have a local presence. There's lots of issues that happen when you don't have a good balance of media within the community, uh, including TV, radio, and newspaper. And she says, we've got to make sure the community gets the best news at the pos- as possible at the local level. And she, ta- she encouraged everybody to lobby the CRTC and said you've, that's a, basically what everybody has to do. 
Interestingly, John Davidson of Jesse's Journey called in on the show and talked about how how great A Channel was for past charities and how they helped him out. And this is a dark day uh, for the channel. Though um, he he went out of out of his way to see that he cannot speak to the business or political side of the issue, and suggested that perhaps the CRTC CRTC's thinking is out, outdated, outmoded, and that kind of thing. And then there was Scott Burton, the union rep at the station, who said grim resignation, you know, re- referring to the 43 layoffs. And he seems to think that CTV has made it clear that they expect to close the stations within the next year and that the 80 or so people who are left at the station feel that they are under a death sentence. Then Don Mumford says this. He says, from time to time, we'll hear some people saying that television is an outmoded medium. It's dying. Radio's dying. Print is dying. Because all the news is going to be on the Internet. But we know that the most popular content sites in Canada are all related to other properties, whether it's canoe.ca, canada.com, ctv.ca. All these websites that are there are either associated with a television station or a print corporation with trained reporters who subscribe to a code of ethics. There are all kinds of people on the Internet. How do you know it's real? How do you know it's true? You know, and he says, A News is a trusted news source. So, you know, how can you tell the truth? That's an interesting question. Well, we're going to take a bit of a break right now because we're going to have to go down to the bottom of the uh, half hour here. We'll come back at the end and continue this conversation about what happened over there. And in the meantime, you're going to be hearing a couple of clips from two other of the new shows that I'm going to be recommending for you. And uh, one of them, of course, is uh, the new Terminator show, which is out and has been out, I think. Uh, They're in their second season now. And the second one that you'll be hearing on the other side of the break is Josh Whedon's new show called Dollhouse, which uh, is, can we say, interesting? And we'll be back after this break. What year are you from? 2027. How long have you been looking for us? 73 days. And the war? The Skynet missile defense system goes online April 19, 2011. Declares war on mankind and triggers a nuclear apocalypse two days later. Miles Dyson. Someone else built Skynet. Who? We don't know. You don't know who builds the computer that blows up the world? I wasn't sent here for that. No. You were sent here to keep my son from being assassinated. Your fiancé went to the police. You should have changed your alias. Go to hell. They'd have found you anyway. They always do. are as innocent and vulnerable as children. We call it the tabula rasa, the blank slate. Now imagine the imprint process filling it, creating a new personality, a friend, a lover, a confidant in a sea of enemies. Your heart's desire made flesh. 
When the engagement has been completed, all memory of you and your time together will be wiped clean. Hello, Echo. How are you feeling? Did I fall asleep? For a little while. Shall I go now? If you like. Neat trick. Tricks are illusions, Mr. Connell. Constructed to deceive. What we offer is truth. A rare commodity. Hence the exuberant price tag. And welcome back to Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM, where we will be with you from now till noon. That was an excerpt from the new show Dollhouse, just debuted a couple weeks ago by Josh Whedon. You've heard four excerpts from four different shows that are the four I am going to be basically giving a heads up on after the next break. And see if you can tell, after having heard the four already, what it is they might all have in common with each other. I'll leave that with you till now, but let's just continue on and wrap this a channel thing up. So here I am. I'm on, I'm on this. I'm still on hold on this open line show. And then who should call in but Joe Fontana as well? And he starts start, starts talking about how he's been a great supporter of CFPL and how it's, it's absolutely essential that we have to keep the station because it touches culture, business relationships. You know, and he talks about the CRTC being part of the solution. And he says, as you know, it's a government regulator that may demand certain conditions on the licenses. CTV can't just disregard two million people, and we have an awful lot of consumer clout that I think we ought to exercise as a community. If everyone said to CTV, listen, this is an important thing to us, and if you want to listen to na- if, you, if you want us to listen to national broadcasts and everything else, then you're going to have to support us too. It's absolutely mandatory. It's democracy. It's culture. It's making sure the southwestern region isn't unheard of anymore by shutting off a signal that would disconnect us from the rest of the country and the rest of the world. I couldn't believe that hyperbole. End quote, by the way. That, just unbelievable what, what, what is being said there. Um, it's democracy to have all this stuff mandatory. Isn't that nice? No, not even a whiff of understanding. Like People just think you can wish things into existence, and I think that's one of the biggest problems our society is facing today, and that's why businesses are having a hard, hard time of it. We take what we have, all our technology, all our consumer goods for granted, and we don't recognize where they're coming from. They don't come from consumer demand. I'm sorry, that's just backwards to everything. And even now you're hearing it in the economy, people saying, well, let's not give the companies money, let's spur consumer demand. That doesn't create productivity. There's one thing that creates it, and it's called freedom. It's called get the government out, you know. And in the context of everything I've said today, I I should make it clear, I I think the CRTC should not exist at at all as a regulator of any kind of content. The only legitimate right a government has with regards to the airwaves is to make sure the same as property rights. Just make sure they don't interfere with each other. You don't have two frequencies arguing it out. Because regard you know, contrary to private or public opinion, broadcast frequencies are private, not public property. Okay? And that's just a fact. That's the reality of it, despite how we're trying to twist it into public property, which is why we have such mundane television, such boring content as a rule. And until you know, they're recognized as such, broadcasting industry will never be able to sustain itself independent of government input. Even the shows you watch, even on the stations that are making money, the shows you watch, take a look at the credits at the end of them and see how many of them are, are being uh, subsidized by governments and taxes. 
So it's, it's a bigger issue th than you think, and that'll be more revealed in the moment here. Now, Don Mumford carried on. He says, you know, what they need is to immediately shore up revenues. And he explained how television's an expensive business. They need to address the revenue stream immediately. And he basically says, now this was interesting, our, quote, our corporate owners have basically been subsidizing this station for the past 10 years. So ba they're, they're saying the station's been losing money for 10 years? H how long does it take you to catch on? You just wait until it finally goes under? And he says about 165 to 170,000 people watch the evening news. I'll take that as a given, but, you know, when I talk to people, I don't know where all those people are. It's like, you know, the joke we heard earlier, where are all, are all these people who watch the David Letterman show? You don't run into too many of them. So it was at this point that I kind of called in on the show. I finally got through there, and, and I basically I was going to call in initially to sympathize with the station and to tell them a little bit about, yeah, you should get on that CRTC and all that stuff. But everyone was talking about democracy and how essential it is and how important local news is. And I got a little frustrated because there I am sitting there. Uh, you want to talk about local? And this is basically what I said to Don Mumford on the air. I said, you know, with all this talk about the station being necessary for democracy and local news, I said, well, you know, I run the Freedom Party of Ontario. Our headquarters is literally about two or three blocks from the TV station. I personally live a few blocks from the TV station, you know, and, I, and the station, no one from that station in all the 10 or 12 years we've been located there has even dropped by for a casual visit or even a human interest story. We're the only provincial party, provincial party registered in the province outside of the city of Toronto. You think that'd be worth something? Uh, we, the party triggered an election two elections ago, and we put 130,000 advertising pieces in the National Post. You think that might have got a bit of notice? We're the only party that had billboards up in London West, where the station was located during the last. I could go on and on, and and you just wouldn't believe their response. But that wasn't even my point. I wasn't calling to complain or ask for coverage. I I don't care about that. That wasn't my point. I just don't like it when somebody says, "This is what we're doing. We're providing this," and when you know darn well. Um, they're doing everything they can to avoid certain people in the local community. And, you know, I pointed out how, how that if Londoners wanted to find out about Freedom Party, they got to turn to the CTS network, which comes out of Burlington, where me and Paul McKeever appear regularly. And they actually pay us money uh, to go back and forth. Which, by the way, just as, as a note, uh, if you're interested, this coming Tuesday, I, I understand I am scheduled to be on the CTS network at 2 p.m., uh, that's number 16 on your dial there on cable. So don't know what we're going to talk about yet, but they never tell you until you get there. So, you know, I basically said if Londoners want to hear about us, uh, it's certainly not via Channel Town, that's for sure. It didn't used to be that way. Under previous ownerships, they actually did uh, visit us once in a while. Um, now, of course, that's my whole point, that the crisis at A-Channel is about ownership. The station's not going anywhere um, everyone's talking about local news all the time. Well, that only fills a couple of hours of the day, and the station's on the air for 24. And so I mentioned to him, I says, you know, when I'm watching personal broadcast TV, I says, the only two shows I watch that are on the A channel are Lost and Terminator. And I can get both of them on the Space Channel a couple of days later. And that's basically it. So that was basically all I got to say on the show that day. And what's Don Mumford's response to me, he says, well, obviously, Bob is getting some of his entertainment needs fulfilled by us, and we spread it around through a broad population throughout the region. So I'm sitting there wondering, uh, 
my whole point was I didn't even need a channel to get those those shows. You can get them elsewhere. There's too much duplication. It's like we have too many cars out there. And uh, you cannot support 90% of the station on 10% revenues kind of thing. You know, who's supporting who? Obviously, local um, programming has to be subsidized by the major stations. And it's interesting, if you look at all the layoffs everywhere across the country in this media, it is all at the local level, which, I, which is ironic since that's what the CRTC has mandated. Um, so obviously, a lot of people called in. They were very disappointed uh, when the regular public started calling. They got some complaints, people saying, you know, everybody else is going through tough times. Why should you be any different, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, Mumford made a very interesting point that I think needs to be made. And he says, we're not looking for handouts here. What we're looking for is the ability to build a sustainable business model. We're a private business. The last thing we want is a handout from anyone. Listeners have to remember that we are so heavily regulated. We have commitments to provide Canadian drama. We have commitments to provide local content. We have probably about 10 or 15 other major commitments that when you add them up, probably add up to about five or six million dollars a year. And that's just pre-commitments before you get off the ground. Because we are so heavily regulated, he argues, our hands are tied to create that viable business model. We want the CRTC to untie our hands so that we can create a viable business model that can sustain itself within this community. So basically, um, that's the whole situation is the CRTC is not allowing them to operate as a business. Of course, if they did, they'd have to drop all the Canadian content regulations and all that kind of stuff. Well, it's ironic that two of the four shows that I am going to recommend today are on the A channel, or at least are available on the A channel, and we'll take a look at them and a few other issues as we come back on the other side of this quick break for a smile. Ah, only thing better, only thing better than uh, nighttime TV is daytime TV, huh? Boy, Jerry Springer, you guys watch Jerry Springer? Oh yeah. Boy, you watch Jerry Springer for five, ten minutes, you realize your life ain't so bad, you know? <laughs> Jeez almighty. Just an endless parade of morons that are willing to trade in their last shred of dignity for a trip to Chicago. That's right? <laughs> unbelievable to me. And here's the thing I don't understand. Knowing what we now know about daytime TV, how do you convince your loved ones to come on the show with you? You know what I mean? That's got to be a weird conversation down at the trailer park. You know what I'm saying? That's just... Uh, Funny, I got something important to tell you, but I, I can't tell you right now. Get in the car, we're going to Chicago. Oh, who's that transvestite in the back seat? It's a surprise, honey, it's a surprise! <laughs> hey, thank you very much. How you doing? Good. How you doing? Good. Feel good. You know that Jane Mansfield had some big breasts. <laughs> really big, huge, just coming out the top of her dress. They were like choking her. I hear that's how she died. Yeah. <laughs> Have you noticed that women today are, you know, they seem 
bigger. Well, a lot of women are having them done. Really? Yeah. How do you like that? A lot of people ask me if I've had mine done. Ah, uh, you know, people. <laughs> <laughs> Gets a little tiring. It's uh, really none of their business. Oh, the nerve. <laughs> you know, some people have asked me if you've uh, done that. What do you tell them? Whatever you want me to tell them. Well, I think you'll find out soon enough. Aren't you gonna get there? No. Well, what if it's an emergency? Oh, there's no emergencies. Jerry, come on, it's an emergency! Excuse me. All right. What is it? You're interrupting. Oh, well, you know, I'm, uh, I'm packing for Puerto Rico. I need to borrow your bathing suit. This is an emergency? You need a bathing suit? Well, I like yours. I don't know, my bathing suit? That, that's a little familiar. I don't want your, your boys down there. Now, what's the matter with my boys? Your boys should stay right. in their neighborhood. All right, come on. Come All on. right, it's yeah. in the top right. drawer. Right. Hurry right. up. Hi, Jer. Hi, Elaine. Oh, hi, Sid. Hi, Elaine? Um, hey. Bob, what are you doing I'm here? I'm looking for Kramer. Oh, uh, yeah. what's going well, on? Well, no, she was just showing me pictures of places I can visit when I go to Puerto Rico. You know, when you two went down there? Oh, yeah. yeah. All right, well, just, uh, uh, You know, the... Well, yeah, okay, okay, yeah. Well, all right. So, where were we? I was just leaving. Right, you were leaving. I can't believe you sent a woman into the sauna to do that That was me. an accident! I think you're both mentally ill. Oh. And by the way, they're real oh. and they're spectacular. And welcome back. Very famous scene from the Jerry Seinfeld show. Now, of course, uh, it was way back on May 15th, our 54th broadcast here was the last time I made any extensive reference to actress model Terry Hatcher, who's currently starring in the series Desperate Housewives. And on that show, I kind of used her as my own personal example of attractiveness. And we're talking about physical attractiveness and things I knew about her because I was watching the show. uh, I think she was in Lois and Clark way back when on a few other shows. Now, on that show, I speculated about the fact that she didn't seem to fit the usual Hollywood mode in the sense that mold, in the sense that her career, while being very important and serious to her, uh, certainly took second place to issues like family and parenting. And I mentioned this on that show back then, and I drew this conclusion simply by noting a few very obvious aspects about her career, like leaving the industry altogether to raise her new child at the very height of her career, just as she had completed the role of Lois Lane on Lois and Clark, and had become one of the Bond girls in a James Bond film. And she didn't run out and get hitched to any other rebound actors after her marriage broke up several years later. I think she's still single, but I'm not too sure. Well, sure enough, the London Free Press on February 10th, there there was an an article, nearly half a page, on Hatcher, with the heading, Mother of All Roles, written by Bruce Kirkland of Sun Media. And in this case, the role being referred to as Hatcher's Landing of playing the animated character of the mother uh, in Tim Burton's new movie, 
Coraline, which is an animation. In the introduction to the article, Kirkland echoed the very sentiment I expressed intuitively about Hatcher on my May 8th broadcast. And he says this, quote, In the land of make-believe that is Hollywood, Terry Hatcher is best known as sexy cougar Susan Meyer on the hit series Desperate Housewives. Women giggle, men lust, and geeks obsess over the length of her tresses and the curves of her full-figured body. Well, I didn't exactly say that, but... You might even dismiss her as a Hollywood lightweight until you meet her. Intelligent, articulate, morally focused, and enormously concerned with good parenting, 44-year-old single mom Hatcher is a dynamo. End quote. Now, for me, Kirkland's description and observation is sort of an anecdotal confirmation that it is indeed possible to determine certain aspects of a person's character through the impersonal television medium, and even through the facade of specific characters that actors and actresses play from time to time. I remember Ayn Rand used to say with regard to watching presidential candidates on TV, which was a new experience in her time, and she'd say, you know, contrary to popular belief, the camera does not hide or obscure certain aspects of a person's basic character or emotional state, and that television was a great revealer of character, contrary to what most people would say, even though you can do illusions with it. You know, another actor I can think of in this regard would be James Garner, if you remember him from Rockford Files, host of other films that he's appeared in. No matter what he's in, he always comes across like this conservative, common-sense guy. You know, this aura follows him wherever he, wherever he goes, and it carries through his, his roles. And I think it's one of the reasons that he's so watchable. I guess the point uh, that I'm trying to make with all of this is that whatever that ineffable quality that certain actors carry with them, they carry with them into other roles. And based on this uh, general theory of actor relativity, shall we call it that, one of the ways I've discovered to find new shows that I might like is to follow the actor or director. Check out the other stuff that those actors that you like do, and you might surprise yourself. Uh, another actor, by the way, who earned my respect in this regard was uh, Adrian Paul, who's not even on my scope today, but I don't know if you ever saw his stuff in Highlander, the TV series. Uh, just a stunning tour de force of pure character, integrity, and, and morality that made, you know, all, all more, made all more believable by his fencing skills on, and his on-screen sense of humor. He's very much a bit like that in real life. Didn't like the movie Highlander, but uh, even though it had Sean Connery in it, another person I kind of like to follow. But I stumbled on this technique when I found myself desperately looking for what I regard as good TV entertainment. And I prefer, of course, I'm talking scripted shows with themes and plots as opposed to reality programming or even news programming, which I think of more as a service and not as... It's a different category. So before I run out of time on today's show, I just want to demonstrate my theory with respect to a handful of shows that as of today, March 12th, are currently on the air with new episodes. I'm not going to make any more predictions because I tried that on the third show when I thought Drive with Nathan Fillion was going to be a big hit and it was canceled by the, by the time that my next broadcast was on the air. So I'm not going to hold my breath for any of these because whether they're good or not doesn't seem to matter. But I remember um, my story basically starts with a series that began and ended in a flash, and it was a quirky and unusual offering called Firefly. It was done by uh, um, Josh Whedon. And by the way, that is the commonality of all the four shows that I have recommended today. Someone involved with Firefly is involved in all of the four shows that I'm talking about today. And uh, when I first heard about Firefly, I remember the only actor I knew on it was probably Ron Glass, who used to be on the Barney Miller show that aired way back in the, what was it, 70s or 80s? 
And I was a bit aware of Adam Baldwin from odd movies like My Bodyguard and some other B-titles. And Josh Whedon I was only v vaguely aware of because of his popularity of uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which was not something I watched. Um, sampled it a couple times. Good show, but not my thing. Okay, I, I wouldn't say it was a bad show. But everyone else on the show was unknown to me, including lead actor Nathan Fillion, who played the captain. And I really had no idea what to expect. And uh, fortunately, the series, uh, when I saw Firefly, it was at least played in order, unlike the way they played it in the States, which is a long story, and I don't want to go there. But what a, you know, what a surprisingly different show it was. It was something totally different from anything I expected to do. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to do more in-depth reviews of some of these series, including this one in the future. But right now, I'm just giving you basically a real quick heads up. And uh, each of these four shows had some actor or director connection to the Firefly series. Of course, there's a Terminator. It's been on a couple of years. Um, second season, Sarah Connor Chronicles. Stars Summer Glau. I think it should be pronounced Summer Glow, but it's spelled G-L-A-U. And, of course, she plays the Terminator, which is unusual since you, it's contrasted against what we might picture a guy like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Another good show is uh, Chuck, started a couple of years ago. This is a fun ride. And what can I say about this show other than uh, my seven-year-old grandson loves it, and I like it too. <laughs> so what can you say about a show that has an appeal like that? Um, now, another show started, again, with Josh Whedon, um, Dollhouse. And it just started this past, oh, just a couple of weeks ago, actually. An interesting story there. Um, I remember my sister watching the show before I did, and I asked her, what do you think? And she says, well, it's interesting. And I said, that's all you can say? It's just interesting? And she said, it's interesting. And so that, that got my curiosity up. So I watched the show the next day because I had it on tape. And then what did I say right at the end of it? I'm sitting there going, huh, that was interesting. <laughs> it's almost. And then again, on Saturday night, we watched it in a group. And what did the first thing two people said? That was interesting. So that's all I can really tell you about the show right now. It's really interesting. It kind of grabs you. It's not, you can't make your mind up about it right away. It's a good kind of interesting. So uh, we'll get into that a little bit later on. And of course, if you are a fan of mysteries and, and you know, it's just such an old genre eh? and, and, and it's always popular. I think most people will like Castle with Nathan Fillion, who of course was the captain in Firefly. This show just debuted Monday night. I really enjoyed the first one. Fun ride. Apparently, Bill Harris and the London Free Press doesn't think it was that much fun. He thought it seemed kind of familiar, and it was very similar to other shows that he had seen. And he was comparing it to shows, some that I'm not familiar with. But, um, you know, he says, uh, he goes on to suggest Castle reminds him of David Duchovny as Hank Moody in Californication. I'm thinking, okay, well, I can't relate to that. He says it also reminds him of the current series Bones, as well as some Mulder and Scully from the X-Files tossed into the castle Beckett tete-a-tete, which are the two main characters. And now of his associations, I'm only familiar with the X-Files, and I just can't relate to his feelings of deja vu about that. Um, yeah, Castle's a mystery show. Mysteries are popular, and sure, they've been done to death. Pardon the pun. <laughs> but uh, it's a genre people never get tired of, and I think that what makes each mystery show unique is its characters and circumstances of their relationships. That's where I think this show has a great deal of potential. First episode was a fun ride, covered a lot of territory necessary to establish, basically, um, the premise of the series. Interesting, too, uh, in his article... Uh, in the free press, he quotes uh, 
Nathan Fillion, who had done a very brief stint on Desperate Housewives, of course, and where he played a character, Dr. Adam Mayfair. And, he, and this is the comment he got from, this is from Nathan Fillion. Quote, I, spend some, I spent some time on Desperate Housewives. Lovely, lovely group. I made a lot of friends. They were very kind to me, said Fillion diplomatically. But I spent a lot of time sitting around in a living room saying, uh-huh, yeah, that's right. Well, I'll get back to you on that. But that's a show called Desperate Housewives, and it's about housewives. Nobody's complaining over there. But I decided in my next job, I want to have fun every day, and that's what Castle is. And that's the feeling I get whenever I watch Nathan Fillion. He sounds like a guy that likes to have fun. That's where I'm going to leave it with you this week. Check those shows out. You might like them. You might not. I know everyone's tastes are different. Again, uh, this Tuesday, I'm going to be on CTS is on the line. Don't know what we'll be talking about, but uh, check it out. Cable uh, number 16. Uh, that's a schedule, and I guess we'll just have to leave it there for now. We're going to be with you again next week. So I hope next week you will be joining us as we continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right, act right, do right, and think right. Take care. To black and white Under the bedclothes Everything will be uh, it's good to be. I just got back from Hollywood. I was there for a couple weeks dubbing Stallone movies into English. And uh, <laughs> I wasn't even sure if I was going to make it here tonight. You know, I circled the airport like five or six times. And uh, finally, I just went up and I said to the bus driver, look. 